Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. This week on Positive Changes, we are joined by the wonderful Rob Romance, who has a story that goes right back to his childhood, right back as young as seven, when he was bullied at school. Rob has gone from strength to strength to strength to strength. He is absolutely inspiring as he shares his story of being your own self-advocate in this journey of life. I, I truly believe we as human beings tend to fill in spaces with the worst possible scenarios i just think you know because that's what we're afraid of right we're afraid of the negative so we assume the negative you know but more often than not you'll find out that it's the opposite you just gotta explore it a little more instead of letting that that inner monologue say hey this is what's happening and it's bad and you need to be upset about it it's hard it's hard these days so if you're ready to learn more tips from the wonderful Rob, come join us now. Today on the show, I'm honoured to be joined by the wonderful Rob Romance, who is the host of What I Tell My Younger Self podcast. So hello there, Rob. Hi, how are you, Shelley? Good, thank you. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Fabulous. Speaking of fabulous, I love your story. It's really different. So please take us back a few years. I won't say many years, a few years to your childhood. Well, I'm, I'm 37, so it seems like many years, but it, you know, it's, it was a rough beginning for me. It started very young, uh, about first grade, or I, I like to think about seven years old. I got bullied a lot on the school playground. Didn't know how to make sense of it because of my age and, and my understanding of the world. And so without that ability to think about it rationally, I didn't internalized it. And I, it, it really, in a quick way, took me down. And I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know what suicide was at that point of, in my life, and thankfully so. But uh, at seven years old, I just didn't want to be here anymore, and it made it very difficult. And as you can imagine, starting that young, it kind of followed me along with life and, and caused other problems, if you will. Um, I was very antisocial. I was very introverted, had trouble, you know, speaking to people. It just, it put a big detriment on my life very young. And so that made it very hard for, for a kid to get through, so. Yeah, seven is really young. I was just thinking as you were speaking, like we have four children, we've got like a six, eight, 10 and 14 year old. And you're thinking, you know, thankfully, as far as I'm aware, they're not bullied, but you know, they wouldn't, as you say, have that awareness around themselves or depression mm -hmm. or suicide. 
So how long did you sort of go along with this bullying? It was manifesting in your mental health. How long did you go before something was realized? The bullying lasted through elementary. So what would that be about sixth or sixth, fifth or sixth grade, right? Um, so that was a long time. It just kind of compounded, kind of added to the stress, if you will. Once I got the, to fourth grade, I believe, um, then school started to become real, right? They start testing you, they start grading you. It's no longer just coloring on a piece of paper. And so what happened then was I wasn't very good at school. I just, it was hard for me to focus and, and maybe it all tied into the depression, I'm not sure, but I started to fail in school. You know, I was getting D's and, and not passing my exams. And so my teachers would send these home with me and then my parents would be upset with me and, and rightfully so. They don't, no one wants to see their children fail, but you add that on top of the bullying issue and all of a sudden I was completely broken because now whether I'm on the school playground or at home, I'm very sad because my parents were also, and again, they were just being loving parents. I don't blame them for this, but they were coming down on me too and I couldn't handle it. And so it, it really compounded into a very dangerous situation for me. Now, again, the idea of not knowing kind of understanding depression and suicide was actually a blessing for me because then I had nothing to act on. Um, but the feelings were real. And I, and I just, even now at 37 years old, just talking about it, it just kind of brings back those emotions. And um, the good news was once I learned how to focus on school, um, whether it be just kind of development or maybe, you know, just my efforts, I'm not sure, but about fifth and sixth grade, I started getting good marks and, and I got on the honor roll and my parents were happy. So that was at least 50% of the problem was, was solved by me doing good in school. And so that was a driver for me to keep going. And then um, once I got out of elementary school and I walked away from those bullies, things kind of changed from there. Um, I wasn't getting that constant pestering and, and you know torment at school but I was still already damaged from the last, you know, six years of my life. And so I had a real hard time connecting with other people. Um, I kind of made my group of friends and I had my friends from the, the, the block I lived on. So that was nice. At least I had some sort of support, but whereas everyone else was trying to find their way through that period of life, making groups, making friends, even, you know, some people were starting to date that kind of stuff you know, the preteen stuff that the development you're supposed to go through, I missed out on it because now all of a sudden I'm awkwardly, you know, struggling through those stages and people pick up on that, you know, people mm -hmm. see the, the kid in the corner and people see the kid eating by themselves. And then all of a sudden it becomes a label at that point. Oh, he's just the weird quiet kid, you know? So it didn't do me any favors, but I also wasn't getting hurt anymore either. So I just kind of started observing. I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. I always, looking back, considered myself a student of human behavior because I was always on the outside looking in, right? Yeah. And so I watched all these interactions. And of course, there was a little sense of jealousy, right? I wanted to be part of it. But it also allowed me to learn and, and it 
kind of figure out what other people were doing right and try to apply that to my life. And so it was kind of the interim between the two, if you will. And then once I got to high school, now I'm pushing into my teens, I'm developing, I'm growing. One of my big issues being younger, I forgot to mention was I was overweight. And so that was something that I always was self-conscious about. And then as I grew into puberty, obviously I got taller and thinner. And so that helped a little bit with my self-image. Um, so once I got to high school, that was really kind of where the, the growing started. I wouldn't say I got through it in high school, but at least I was starting to grow. Um, I found that I had a, a empathy for other people going through what I was going through. I knew those feelings. I knew what it felt like. I knew it was horrible and I knew I was alone. And so when I saw that with other people, I was able to, again, empathize with that. And so I would find those people sitting by themselves. I would find those people getting bullied at, in high school and I would try to befriend them. And that made me feel better about my situation, you know? And so one of the things I like to say now, it's kind of, I guess my, my motto, if you will, is, you know, sometimes you find that in order to help yourself, you help others, or the other way, in order to helping others helps you help yourself. And that's exactly what I fell into is now my goal and my mission, if you will, was helping other people. Bless you. It seems like you went for so many years, Rob, without anyone realizing what's going on. Like, so no teachers picked yeah. up on the bullying, your parents mm -hmm. with no judgment, but they weren't aware of the bullying or the grades until you sort of, you know, many years passed. So were you just getting bullied and no one knew? I think if anyone did know, they just kind of turned a blind eye to it. I think our society was a lot different back then. There was a lot less attention on bullying. There was a lot less attention on depression and mental health issues. I mean, I grew up, what was that? That was the 90s. I was born in 83. So by the time I was really in the school is the 90s. And I just don't think those programs and that awareness was really available at that time. And so, it, like I said, if anyone did notice, they didn't really address it. And so I just kind of had to stumble through it by myself. And I think that was the hardest part. And so my parents, you know, they knew something was wrong. I'd come home upset almost every day, but they would console me and make me feel better. And then life would go on. It was never like, there's something deeper here that we need to explore. And again, I, I attribute it to the mindset in the times and just the lack of awareness around these topics. I, I don't blame my parents. I don't think they were neglectful. They were actually very loving parents and very supportive parents, and I'm lucky to have them. I just don't think they understood. They didn't have the resources that they needed to really understand depression and suicide at that time. So, yeah, and I think I hear that a lot, sort of, when we're dealing with not even childhood trauma, but, you know, like childhood issues or childhood, just our general upbringing, I guess I'm trying to say. Our parents are doing the best they could at the time. So it's right. not like they, you know, were doing it on purpose. They didn't have the resources. There wasn't yeah. the awareness around, you know, children having depression or there wasn't awareness of the bullying. And at the end of the day, you can only kind of help and act yourself and others based on your own experience. So if they haven't been bullied or if they haven't got the mental health, you haven't right. got those tools to then help your child mm -hmm. or your 
work colleague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and now that I'm a parent, I have two young kids. I almost feel like I'm over aware, right? I know what I went through. And so I'm trying to do everything I can to keep them from going through that. But that also is not good. You have to let them experience life and you have to let them have some trials to grow from those trials as well. So it really is a balancing act. And I don't think there's any one right way. Obviously, any parent knows the whole thing is just trying to figure it out every day, you know? Yeah. It's a bit so, like your journey where you've almost been your own advocate on it, sort of that you didn't really have the support to become your own advocate. And yeah. it is learning as you go along. But I, I've been there quite recently, actually, with our eldest, mm-hmm. because, you know, he's like 14, he wants to date a certain girl. And does she feel the same? And I'm really hyper protective because obviously, you know, we've all got broken relationships and we've all been treated right. a certain way. And it's that stuff that comes up. And we do get sort of hyper focused, mm-hmm. hyper aware. But I think it's a parenting thing, a caring thing. That you just yeah, you want wanna... them to want to save them for what you went through, which is not really exactly. why they're here. Yeah, exactly. Well, saving them too doesn't mean not allowing them to experience anything either. You know, they have to. You have to learn those coping skills and that that rebound and that knowing that you made it through one time. That means you're going to make it through the next time as well, and that's the hard part. And I think more so than telling them what they should be doing it's more just validating those feelings. Like it's okay to be upset. It's okay to feel that hurt. Yes, you you lost a girlfriend that hurts. That's okay, that's normal. But you're also gonna get through that and it's gonna be okay. And I think that's kind of where we as parents owe it to them not to force their hand out of dangerous situations. Obviously safety is an issue, but as far as emotional, but more so just guide them through those emotional journeys because they're going to happen. It's part of being human, you know. I love that. And I had like a bit of a light bulb moment because you say, you know, we should be validating their feelings. Like it's okay to get upset because the girl doesn't want to be with you. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So as you say, that's probably the difference between sort of like us as parents and us being parented. Like we now validate the feelings. It's okay to feel that way. Whereas mm-hmm. in the past, like you've said yourself, it was almost pacifying the emotions so rather than letting them come up they're trying to push it down make it better but it doesn't does it not not really because it doesn't help you understand i think the the normalizing those feelings is the important part if somebody told me when i was a kid you know bullying's wrong this is why it's hurting you but that's normal you know, and, and just kind of guiding me into a better direction, I feel like I probably could have avoided some of the trials that I went through. Again, unfortunately, that didn't happen. And so I had to kind of figure my own way out. Um, but yeah, just just letting the children know and anyone who's struggling for that matter, that what you're going through is not, it's not, the worst thing you could feel is that you're you're alone and that no one else would understand, right? And that's kind of the general mentality of anyone struggling mentally is you know I no one can help me I'm by myself I'm all alone and that's kind of that depression if you will is that you're an outlier but for somebody to come in and say hey it's okay I get it I felt it I've been there you're not alone like that's really the key right is just having that support it doesn't mean you take the pain away it doesn't mean you're taking them out of their problem it just means that you're there with them side by side to let help them through it and that's i think what anyone needs to start growing is to have that support system 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what I lacked. You know, I, I lacked the support system, both with family, friends, teachers, mentors. I just didn't have any of that. So it was really me figuring out my own way out. And that's the hardest part, I think. And that's, I think, also why it lasted so long. Um, I mean, if I can, I'll jump back into my story. There's actually more to it. Yeah, um, please do. So in, in high school, like I said, I was I was kind of seeking out the other lonely people that I've noticed. Well, along with that, now I'm surrounding myself with more depression and suicide, right? Because that's what they're feeling. So even though I'm kind of starting to come over my peak of feelings, now I'm involving myself with other people's feelings. And at first I handled it fine, you know? But now we're talking, we're not talking a seven-year-old who's just is sad. Now we're talking about teenagers who actually have the means to act. And so I was getting phone calls from these kids about them wanting to kill themselves or even attempting to kill themselves. And I was the one talking them off that edge. And who am I to do that? I'm, I'm like 15 years old. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know therapeutically the right words to use. I'm not a, I'm not a, professional and so I just found myself speaking from my heart and doing the best I could and fortunately it was it was good enough I none of the people that I talked to who were attempting suicide actually went through with it um, but then someone in my school did and it was a big deal you know they they announced it to the school that morning and I mean and it was just kind of one more thing that just totally crumbled my world because it's like could I have talked to him could I have been that person did I miss something and now all of a sudden I'm taking on blame on myself that I didn't deserve there was no way I could have known that this kid was suicidal but being my mission at the time I just kind of now I felt like I let him down which is interesting because again I had no responsibility to that but I took that all on my shoulders and it actually broke me down again. I got very sad, very depressed. Um, and then I was, now I'm dealing with a, a true trauma in my life versus just emotional trauma. And so at that point I decided I didn't wanna be in this life anymore. Like not physically, but I moved away from home after high school. I'm like, I need to get away from this. I need to get away from everything, cut up ties and start over because I can't keep doing this. Now I'm 18 years old and I haven't even really moved past my problems at this point. I have a better understanding of them. So I moved away about eight hours from my home and started over. And then at that point, as everyone knows, teenagers feel like they're invincible. And now I don't have any parents or rules surrounding me. Then my coping mechanism became alcohol. And I became a pretty serious alcoholic. And in a very social atmosphere, I joined a fraternity. So it was all fun and games until it started to become my answer. And then every time I got upset or depressed, which was often, I turned to alcohol. And as you can imagine, that became very dangerous. So long story short, I mean, it was probably, I feel like my turning point was 24 years old. Once I got to 24, 
my friends were graduating college and moving on with their careers and some of them were getting married and some of them, or close to getting married and all this stuff, they all started developing and I felt like I was just standing still. And so it was really kind of a moment where it's like, okay, I gotta get my life together. I, I haven't, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I'm still in college. I'm still, you know, have no idea what I wanna do with my life. It just seemed like I was so lost and I had the maturity, the mental maturity at that point to understand what my situation was. And so I really turned myself around at that point. So it was interesting. It was an interesting journey. <laughs> so was the turning point purely watching others again? Because you seem to, you've done a lot of observation in your life, it seems. Mm -hmm. But yeah. was it observation again of people moving forward onto the next chapter? That was a big kind of scared sober moment for me, if you will, because here I am still one drinking a lot and partying a lot and having fun, if you will, quote unquote, while everyone else was actually being responsible and moving on. And so it made me realize what I was missing. I'm like, wow, I gotta, I gotta figure my life out because it's, it's leaving me behind. And so it was an interesting like thought process, just seeing everybody else leaving my life was like, I spent so much time by myself and then I found this support system and then now the support system's leaving. And so it made me feel alone again. And so I think that was my big, like, okay, I gotta do something here. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, which is interesting because it really was the big turning point in my depression. Um, I met a roommate in the dorms at college and he was, he was the one who actually, Mr. Fraternity, you know, he dated all the girls. He was, he was very popular, right? And here I am, Mr. Quiet, introverted, you know, wouldn't talk to anybody. Well, he moved into my room. And you can imagine, I mean, polar opposites of roommates. And I always felt like I kind of wanted to be him, right? Because he had everything that I never had. And he was very friendly and we befriended each other, but every time he would leave to go, I don't know, socialize, he, he would ask me if I wanted to go with him and I'd say no, you know, cause I was very scared and I was very un, unwilling to take that first step forward. And after probably a dozen no's, he finally didn't accept no for an answer. <laughs> And he picked me up. I was, I was a very big computer gamer. So I was sitting at my computer playing my games and he picked me up in my computer chair, like literally in the <laughs> chair and walked me out the door. And that was another moment of realization that, you know, up until then I had very little self-worth. I didn't feel like anyone wanted to be my friend. I didn't feel like anyone wanted to date me. I didn't feel like anyone wanted to be in my life. I just kind of felt like this is it. I'm just going to be by myself. And so to have this guy, I mean, literally probably knew me for six months, right? He, he didn't know me enough to really love me like that. But that's exactly what he did is he showed me that he cared enough to force my hand a little bit and say, hey, I want you to be with us. I want you to be part of the group. I want you to be friends. And it was just a very big moment for me to realize that people do like me. And most of my confidence and self-worth issues are, are my own. You know, it's a projection that I'm putting on myself. It's not something that other people are putting on me. And so 
that realization was another turning point for me to just kind of get out of my funk and say, hey, I'm worth it. People do appreciate having me in their lives and I, I need to explore this. I need to develop this. So it's an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I'm a great believer like in synchronicity. And I think people come into our life for, you know, a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I just think the reason there was so clear. I mean, it's, yeah. it's almost comical, like this, you know, popular guy, you know, drinking mm -hmm. around, sleeping around. And he's just like, yeah. right, I'm getting the game in Jan, you're coming with me, <laughs> you know. And it's just like, it's humorous, but the power you know it's a real turning point yeah you know, you've been yeah, it really so is. alone yeah yes I mean and that's the thing and that's kind of my message to anyone else who's kind of struggling right now is you know you got to keep trying you got to keep moving on you got to keep going forward because you never know who's going to come into your life and again had that guy not stepped into my life randomly who knows where I would be you know, he was really the person who who gave me every all the tools I needed to to build on my own growth. But if had he not been assigned to my room in college, who knows? You know, but you don't know. And until you find that person or that support system, you got to keep going. You got to keep trying because someone will step into your life. I truly believe that. Yeah, I do too, and I think we can get stuck in a cycle where we don't think that anyone else is going through what we're going through or hasn't been what we're going through, or you don't want to burden anyone or who's going to listen, mm -hmm. you know, because you might be rejected in the past. And it is a dangerous cycle we get into. And it is useful about self-rejection. We can put that sort of negative idea, mm -hmm. but I think when we have a support, whether it's a friend, a stranger, a professional counselor, a doctor, you know, a roommate, <laughs> Yeah. you know that it just takes one connection you can have like 20 no's and rejections but it just takes one person and you're yes. back on your game so as you say just keep going mm -hmm. and those rejections and those no's at first I mean they're gonna hurt you know they're gonna make you feel like you're never gonna find that one yes or you're never gonna find that person you need or that relationship whatever it might be you're gonna feel those feelings and that's totally valid but a lot of a lot of the sadness, the hurt, the defeat, the unwillingness to go on. Um, you know, I, I, I'm careful saying this because I don't want people to think that I'm downplaying the, the seriousness, but it, it really is in your head. You are placing those feelings on yourself. And I promise you, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to accept you. That's just, that's life. But I promise you, the majority of people that you sit there and go kind of speak for them, if you will, like, oh, they're not going to like me or I can't say hi to them because they'll tease me, whatever it might be. You're you're projecting that on them without giving them a chance. And more often than not, if you just gave them that little chance, you'll realize how typically your thoughts are not correct. I I, I was very insecure because of what I went through talking to women. That was very hard for me because again, I mean, if I can't make friends, how am I going to get a girlfriend? You know, it's like, that's a huge step. And so I would, I would judge women. I would look at them and say, oh, wow, she's really pretty, but I can't talk to her. She looks like she, she would be mean or she would, you know, she's too good for me or whatever excuses that I would come up with for myself. And then as I kind of grew into adulthood and learned how to talk to people and learned how to approach people, 
I would still have those feelings, but then I would take that step to speak with them and realize that I was so wrong. Like they're usually very nice or they're very welcoming or very friendly. And all those prejudgments would have stopped the younger me from trying. And now that I can kind of step past that and realize I can't speak for other people. I can't place that on them. I can't choose how they're going to treat me. But what I can do is learn, figure it out, talk to them, associate with them. And if I do find out that they're not the people I want to be around, then good, I'll, I'll move on. But like I said, more often than not, I realized that I was very wrong in my head prior to our conversations. And so, you know, a lot of it has to do with self talking, right? What are you, what are you saying to yourself? How are you treating yourself? How are you valuing yourself? And after you can kind of learn that step, then you can realize that other people will also value you the same. I think that's so valid because we do think, oh, I'm not going to speak to them. They look like, I don't know what people think, but you know, we do make judgments and stories before we sort of say hello to people, Mm -hmm. but everyone's got a story. Everyone's had a journey. And I yes. don't think you can really, unless you're some kind of clinical sort of profiling mm-hmm. genius or from the police force and you, you know, profile <laughs> people all the time. I think we get it so wrong because I think all yeah. of us are carrying our own stories. So we might be yeah. doing this fake it till we make it and we'd be acting mm-hmm. overconfident. We could be just as introvert as the person who's fearful of talking to us. We yes. all wear masks to try and be more happier than we're feeling. Mm-hmm. So really when we're making that judgment of the people, you know, these people that are all smiley and confident, they're probably not, they're probably the same as us. Well, and that's a great point. And they, they are doing the same thing we are. I, it's human nature to kind of have that predisposition, like, oh, well, they look like this, or they, I, I think they're going to be like that. Everybody's doing that to each other. And it isn't until you break down that wall and communicate with one another that you realize it's usually not the case, you know? And, and like you said, I mean, unless you're professionally trying to diagnose somebody, right? Which even then I have problems with that because then you're coming at it from a strictly clinical standpoint instead of emotional most times. That's a whole nother story, but <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we're all doing this to each other. And I've noticed, you know, now that I'm in my career and I'm married and I have kids and my my self-worth is up and my confidence, like I can talk to anybody. I can approach and talk to anybody, strangers, professionals, friends, family, you name it. And I mean, it, it just makes me think back to how much opportunity I may have missed when I was younger, because it's not hard to talk to people. And in your willingness and your projection of who you are encourages other people to do the same. And I, you know, people are friendly, people are, you know, cordial for the most part. But until you learn to take that step forward and, and approach and, and initiate, it's just, you're already defeating yourself because you're not even trying. I love that. I was just thinking something and you said exactly what I was thinking. It's like, just how many missed opportunities we had because Mm -hmm. we thought, 
oh god they look a bit snobby or a little bit grubby whatever you think I don't know but you know all those moments where you stop that opportunity you stop that spark you stop that opportunity to grow or to be more courageous or to know they're not for you are for you because we do get in our own way day after day after day and I'm thinking now like sometimes I think I'll go and speak to them you know not in a business sense but as you say at school college uni supermarkets post offices all those moments we could have and we don't, do we? Yeah, no, we don't. And unfortunately, the way society has developed and life is right now, it, it's seen less and less. You know, people don't just say hello and how's your day and, you know, that cordial conversation, just the idle chit chat. You know, you don't need to be friends to ask somebody, hey, you having a good day, you know? And it's it's unfortunate because I, I feel like we as a society communication is breaking down you know now it's emails and text messages and nonverbal communication which as we know as not only podcasters but you you know you use video that nonverbal communication is so important the smile the shoulders you know how they're standing and how they're approaching you you don't get that through a text message or facebook or you know all the stuff that people are using to talk to each other now and i think it's harming us more than it's helping us it's so true yeah mm -hmm. I think of my daughter she gets she's 10 just put in context for the listeners she's 10 and she's recently got her first mobile phone ready for starting secondary school to make sure she can text us Mm -hmm. and anything and um she gets really easily offended yeah by text messages it's like but you can't hear a tone to it you know you could just see flat words and it's like me if I'm on social media you don't really know that I've got a sense of humor because it's just flat words on a Facebook page and it is that as you say Mm -hmm it's the flatness you can't get it in a text it is that communication do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. people might I mean, you don't have no idea what I sound like if you just saw a Facebook post my daughter doesn't really know yeah. if her friend's having a joke because it's a text message and it the communication's kind of flat isn't it it's quicker because you can send a text you can send an email mm-hmm. to you know from here to Australia but it does lack something absolutely and I within my trials excuse me have become I find humor in verbal communication, whether it be sarcasm or just being crass or, you know, just kind of, I mean, anyone who read my words would think I'm the biggest jerk in the world because I've just, I'm just joking, you know, I'm like, oh, is that so? Oh, is that, you know, oh, you think that high? That's interesting. And without the tone, without the smile, without the, you know, the, the shoulder nudge, you wouldn't know that I'm kidding, but that's who I am. And anyone who knows me understands that. But if I'm talking to somebody, you know, like, let's say I was a teenager again, and I'm just shooting my texts around to, you know, my friends, they might like your daughter might get offended by that because they're like, well, why is this guy being such an (laughs) a-hole? It's like, (laughs) you know, that's not the context but you'll never know that through just written written you know messages and that's it's going to be harmful especially to our youth i think because they love it so much but yeah something as simple as okay well is that okay i don't want to talk to you anymore okay i'm upset with you or is that just okay i'm jumping in the shower and i don't have enough time to write anything else but i'll see you in a minute you know like it's just lost you know and and i get it it's hard yeah it is we funny. actually go ahead 
No, I think it is funny. I think it was the word okay that upset her because she was having a conversation with text with her mate and um, they said, okay. So then to her, that was really abrupt. Why are they not speaking mm-hmm. back to me? But she said they could have been going for a shower. The mum probably saying, get off your phone. You've been on it too long or okay. And <laughs> right. a conversation. We don't know, but I think maybe, you know, it's not about how we miss those opportunities from not approaching people and speaking, but I think we often lose opportunities and friendships from people misinterpreting as well. <laughs> goes kind of two ways right and it goes back to kind of originally what we were talking about it's it's your inner dialogue right it's you saying oh well what do they mean by this do they mean this well how about you talk to them and figure out what they mean instead of filling those blanks with all the negative thoughts you might have in your head i truly believe we as human beings tend to fill in the spaces with the worst possible scenarios. I just think, you know, cause that's what we're afraid of, right? We're afraid of the negative. So we assume the negative, you know, but more often than not, you'll find out that it's the opposite. You just gotta explore it a little more instead of letting that, that inner monologue say, hey, this is what's happening and it's bad and you need to be upset about it. It's hard, it's hard these days. Yeah, I think it's hard, even like generational, because I still think we act a lot on all the experience we've had today, you know, that old subconscious mind sort of thought, right, I've got this belief stored and that thought, you know, and so we're always kind of acting from where we were, not where we're going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, again, I, I say this a lot and I hate to, you know, beat a dead horse, but it's human nature. We we focus on what we're afraid of. We let those fears drive our thoughts. We let those fears drive our actions. And it's not necessarily a healthy thing because you're often, you're often not correct with what you're afraid about. And so the lack of knowledge typically is what causes that fear, no matter what the situation is. And so enlighten yourself, learn about it, fill in those blanks with facts instead of opinions in your own mind. And, you, and that's what's going to help you figure things out. And, and, and once, you, once you learn about it, once you explore it a little bit more, if you do find out that it's a negative, great. Well, now you know how to walk away from it or avoid it because you've, you've got that knowledge base. And so it's not a bad thing. You know, a lot of people consider rejection and hurt and all that as bad and in the moment it hurts I mean it's painful that's not good but it also has now given you an opportunity to either move in a different direction or move forward or learn from it or grow from it that you wouldn't have had that opportunity had you not experienced that hurt so I love that I always remember I don't know what happened I don't know if I'd gone for a job or was after a certain opportunity but um you know you get these little cute moments those sort of synchronicities if you will and um on Facebook it came up it's not rejection it's redirection and it's stuck with me Rob and I love it that's perfect yeah that's perfect you know one of my I try not to regret my past because I often say that I am who I am today because of it so there's nothing to regret but that doesn't mean I don't question what I had done and whether or not I could have done it differently. And one of my big struggles in life was relationships, um, finding girlfriends. 
you know, I just, I didn't date very much. I was very, you know, self-conscious and didn't have the, the confidence to approach women. But now I sit here and go, how hard is it just to say, hey, I like you. If the feelings aren't mutual, great, but let me know so I can move on with my life. Instead of sitting there going like, oh, should I talk to her? Should I, what if she doesn't? What if, what if, you know, you sit there and question for a week and then all of a sudden it's awkward, right? But it's, you know, it's not a difficult conversation. And if she says, oh, I don't feel like that. Okay, great. Now, you know, now you can move on. Now you can look elsewhere instead of just dwelling on it. And I often find myself reflecting on that and, and just how much, again, how many opportunities I may have missed just because I held myself back from even asking. And all it is, is a simple conversation. And the other thing about it, and here's the other, and, and I think maybe this is a, a male mindset, so you can tell me <laughs> otherwise. But the other thing about it, like, especially approaching people and women, it's what your friends are going to think, right? <laughs> you got this group of guys around you or girls in your, in your case, and, and what if you walk up to them and they reject me and now all of them see that and oh my gosh, I would be so embarrassed. Well, who cares what they think? Right? I mean, that's another lesson that I had to learn. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. They can kind of jab at you or joke with you or, or say what they will. But the reality is, if you let them stop you from even trying, you're, that's the most harm, is not doing something or not attempting something or not approaching someone just because you're worried about what your peers are going to think. That was a big lesson that I had to learn. Yeah, and I should imagine it goes back to what we touched on earlier about when we're making judgment of others, they're probably wearing a mask or overplaying the confidence, faking to the make it. And so yeah. even if your mates are jeering, going like, yeah, she doesn't want to go out with you, they're probably thinking, good on you, Rob. I want to go out with that girl, you know. And I think whatever people are judging us, I just believe we're mirrors. So if someone doesn't mm -hmm. like something in us or they absolutely love something in us, it's because they have that unresolved part in themselves. So I think, you know, when you every girl you've gone yes. and asked out they're thinking like damn he's good you know even though they might jeer and spill a beer on you I think well, yeah. they're on the same journey yes and that's the that's the best thing to say is they're they're feeling and thinking the same exact things and that's probably the perp the reason for their behavior is because they wouldn't have done it themselves and so their way of feeling better about themselves is to kind of lay it into you yeah you know and and it doesn't matter, you know? People are gonna come in and out of your life all the time. And you may sit here, you've got your, your real strong support system, the people you, you think will never leave your life, your best friends, your family, your siblings, you know, they're always gonna be there, but everyone else, it's kind of like a chapter in your book. You know, I know that's used a lot, but it's true that chapter is great. You hold them dear. You love it. You enjoy that part of your life. But the reality is they're probably going to move on. They're going to get married. They're going to graduate or whatever it might be in life that's going to send them somewhere else. And you'll always have your memories with them, but they are no longer part of your life. So if you let those people hinder you and stop you from developing and trying things in your life, What's it all for if they're just going to move on and, and leave you anyway? I had a lot of great friends in college. I mean, I, I became, I went from being introverted to a social butterfly and I, I met, I mean, I, 
I had hundreds, hundreds of people who I could, I couldn't walk through my university without seeing a face and saying, Hey, what's up? You know, I was that guy, <laughs> but I don't see any of them anymore. Right. I, I might have a good dozen people I might still keep in touch with the rest of them have moved on and out of my life. And so to let that dictate what you're willing, what the, the risks and chances you're willing to take, it just doesn't make sense, does it? No, just as I said, I call it a reason, a season, a lifetime. I know you have something like 400 friendships in your lifetime. And mm-hmm. I think as a mum, I see that people, you know, the children really struggle with friendships. They're going to secondary school and, you know, different classes. Mm-hmm. But it is a reason, a season, a lifetime. And you're so right. I think when we're stuck kind of rereading our last chapter, then we're never going to be moving forward to the next chapter. And the most, you know, right. potentially the most amazing life. You know, if you keep doing yeah. what you're doing, you're only going to get what you got, which is, you know, if yeah. you never moved on from your chapter, you still would have, you know, always been bullied or you still would have been sitting there gaming in your dorm. Yeah. You know, but you have yeah. to turn that page, start a clean page. You know, it's all very cliche, but I truly believe in it. Well, it's it's the mindset, right? That's what we're all striving for is, you know, that mindset of, it is cliche, but it's cliche for a reason because it, it it's how we make sense of things, you know, and, and it's it's your life. It's your it's what you get out of it. It's what you want to get out of it. It's not what anyone else wants you to get out of it. And that's the hardest thing, especially now with peers and pressure. And we all went through it, you know, especially in the teenage years, you're so impressionable and you want to make friends and you want to be cool and all this stuff. And, and that's, I get it. That's normal, but take those opinions, take those judgments, whatever you want to call them. And you can reflect on them, but don't let them hinder you. If you truly believe you want to do something or you can achieve something, don't let that stop you because you're not living this life for anyone else. You're living it for you. And I let too many people influence what I was willing to achieve. And and again, I'm fortunate that I was able to pivot and find my way through my older, my adult years, but I had so much missed opportunities because I was so worried about what other people were going to think. And, you know, I just think that's such an important message, especially for our youth is do what makes you happy. Do what you want to do for your own development and your own benefit. Don't do it for other people or don't not do it for other people. That's the bigger message. So I love that. I was smiling because we're both nurses, but um, I worked a lot at the end of life as a chemotherapy nurse, worked a lot with the palliative and there's these mm-hmm. recurring life lessons. And I speak about them really openly, like in life, in my next book, Good Grief and things like that. And it's exactly what you're saying is like, live your life, not someone else's version or opinion of it. Allow yourself to be happier, you know, speak your truth, do more of what you love. And so I think that was just beautiful. Yeah, I, I worked interventional radiology. And so I was kind of along the same lines. You know, when you speak to and associate and, and more or less befriend people who are at end of life and they start opening up and speaking to you, I mean, it's, it's one, it's heartbreaking, right? Because you don't want to see people in that state, but it's also very enlightening because 
when you're, I, I can only imagine, obviously I've never been in this situation, but when you're told that you only have X amount of time left on this earth, you kind of let down your guard and your reservations and what you're willing to do and say, because it doesn't matter anymore. You know that your time is finite. And so those conversations, you can probably relate those conversations with those patients were probably the most enlightening and indulging and just knowledgeable conversations I think I've ever had. And it's uplifting to hear them. Unfortunately, it's, you know, it's, uh, they're the ones in that situation, but it, a lot of those conversations helped me kind of realign my perspective. It kind of helped me realize what is life? Why are we living this? Like, what's our, my priorities? Are they aligned properly? You know, it's, it's really, it's a great conversation and it's a sad situation, but you can learn a lot from it. Yeah, I left nursing for a while, but I really missed the palliative care and the lessons, and the wisdom that you talk of. Yeah. And so returned and I've said it on quite a few of the episodes sort of like they always said to me, like, you'll always know how much money you have in the bank. You never know how much time you have left. And it's just yeah. stuck with me. And I really do try and live my best life. And I really do try and, you know, live by these lessons that they taught us. And so I'd love to ask you if there's still people out there today. I mean, you've been a huge self-advocate, which I love. But if you had to choose one thing, one positive change that people could create today to move forward, what would you suggest as a starting point? I would say don't, and in this, it sounds easier than it is. I understand that. Um, but don't ever doubt your capabilities. Don't ever talk yourself down so much that it stops you from starting your journey, starting your growth, starting your development in any way you can think of it, whether it be education, emotional, you know, physical, you know, anything we are the ones who keep ourselves from starting that task, you know, and in that first step, the step over the line saying, I'm going to do this today is always the hardest. I don't care who you are, but you'll realize that once you get started and you allow yourself to develop a plan or a direction, and it, then at that point, it's just maintenance, you know, and you might fall one way or the other and you just kind of bring yourself back to the center but at that point it's maintenance but if you don't ever start then you're just going to stay right where you are and I think you know to what we're speaking to for me that was an emotional stunt I I would not allow myself to accept myself who I am allow people to step into my life I can't tell you how many people in the beginning I turned away just because I didn't want to feel that pain again but they weren't even approaching me with pain but it didn't matter to me I had a wall and I said you're not getting through this wall but had I just taken one step around it and allowed just a little bit of support and a little bit of friendship and a little bit of love into my life it could have made all the difference but I kept myself back and so I guess to sum it up just take that one step today, whatever it is, whether you want to start working out, whether you want to start eating healthy, whether you need to speak to somebody emotionally, whether you need to get help, whether you need to seek a professional, whatever it might be, 
take that step today. Don't wait. Otherwise, tomorrow you're going to be in the same place you are today and the next day and the next day and nothing will ever change because you won't allow yourself that one's first step. And it's hard. I get it. You know, I'm sitting here talking like it can be, you know, very easy to do. It's not easy to do, but I promise you, you start now and you'll thank yourself later. I've got goosebumps. I feel I should say something profound as a podcast host, <laughs> but what Rob said. <laughs> you know, just, I just, yeah. sorry, just, just to sum it up, I feel like had I encouraged myself to do this sooner, if I would have started, if you will, when I was in my teens instead of my 20s, I just think of how much growth I could have accomplished by now. And I'm proud of what I have. I'm proud of what I did. But the sooner you can make those changes, it compounds into something that much better. So, I love that. So everyone, your homework for this week is start before you feel ready because there's going to be no right time, but just start. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that's the perfect way to put it. You're never going to be ready. Yeah. So just start. And that's kind of my emphasis for the podcast as well. Um, my co-host and I both have gone through our life challenges, both with depression and suicide. And if our podcast can influence one person to make that change today, then it's all worth it because we've helped one person. Now, obviously we want it to reach many more than one person, but it's encouragement to start, start that growth start that healing, start that journey, because the longer you wait, the more of life you're going to miss. And life is beautiful. There's a lot of great things out there and you don't want to miss it. So start your journey today. Well, life is beautiful, but Rob Romance, you are absolutely blooming beautiful because <laughs> we're an unswearing podcast. <laughs> blooming beautiful. Um, thank you so much for sharing like your journey because we can tell it's not been an easy journey, sort of, you know, from the childhood, the teenagers, the twenties. So thank you so much. It's going to resonate with so many people, you know, I think parents with children, teenagers themselves, people in their twenties, people in their thirties, forties and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on. It's been a great conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from shellyfknight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.